the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Understand that God is a personal God as a father. He is a father to us and we are like his children. And throughout the whole prayer, it's our father and give us uh, our daily bread and forgive us our sins for as we also forgive others. And he's talking here in the sense of a family. This is our father and us. We are part of God's family. We need to approach Him as a loving dad. The Lord's Prayer is something that's likely familiar to you if you've spent any time in church. But have you ever really studied what it all means? That's what Pastor Gary will be doing today, starting with reminding you that God is personal. He loves you as an individual person you just as you are right now. He's your Heavenly Father, and He cares for you deeply. You can approach Him as a dad, a loving parent. You are His child, and He gave you everything so that you could have a relationship with Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So we come here to Luke chapter 11 and, you know, speaking about how easy it is for our hearts to get weighed down and heavy with things, uh, Jesus is going to open up here this 11th chapter by teaching us how to pray. It is a familiar passage. Uh, Matthew records also this prayer in Matthew chapter 6. It is often called the Lord's Prayer. I think it would be better labeled the Disciples' Prayer because he was teaching his followers how to pray. So that's how chapter 11 opens up. Let's look here, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, that is John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. If you notice here, Luke has kind of the abridged version. (laughs) He kind of shortens it a little bit uh, from what Matthew records, and you know, this is one of these classic passages of scripture where it just doesn't sound as pretty in the NIV as it does in the King James. And for those of you who have memorized this prayer, you typically memorize it in the King James. It sounds a a lot more poetic. It sounds a a lot more pleasing to the ear. So not only do we have the NIV here, but we have this abridged little shortened version that Luke gives us. 
And so it's important to realize a few things about prayer. First of all, many books obviously have been written about the subject of prayer. I once read that among all the Christian books, that the prayer is the number one subject that, it, that is written about. And yet I think uh, far fewer of us actually practice it. We might read a book about prayer, but we don't pray as much as we read books about prayer. I don't know anybody, I've said this before, myself included, I don't know anybody, I've never met a single person who said that you probably pray too much. (laughs) If any of us were honest about assessing our own spiritual lives, we would have to admit that we don't pray enough. We do a lot of things, but probably don't pray as much as we should. And, you know, even the disciples realize this about themselves because they ask Jesus to help them. They say to him, Lord, here in verse 1, Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And even in that request, it tells us a couple of things. First of all, it tells us that Jesus' own prayer life was notable and admirable because it sparked their question. They observed his prayer life, and it was different from the prayer life of other people. Now, in this day, you have to remember that, that prayers consisted typically of three times a day. Originally, the Jews prayed the great Shema twice a day at 9 a.m. and then at 9 p.m. The great Shema from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Even to this day, in every Jewish synagogue, they open their service praying the great Shema. By the time of Jesus' day, they were praying three times a day. Typically, the Jews we're practicing prayer as a matter of a scheduled practice. After the Babylonian captivity in uh, roughly 586 BC, when the Jews were in captivity in Babylon, they wanted to keep prayer as a focus. So because they were away from the temple when they were in captivity in Babylon, which is modern Iraq, they resorted to praying at the same time that they would normally have been offering the daily sacrifices back in the temple, which is 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. So by Jesus' day, that was the structured prayer life of a Jew. You prayed at 9 a.m., you prayed at 12 noon, and you prayed at 3 p.m., whether you felt like it or not. You're just going to do that because that's on the schedule. And what they observed about Jesus was that his prayer life was different that he didn't just pray by, and perhaps he prayed at the regular prayer times, but that his prayer life was different from that. It was a fresh kind of a prayer life. It was a personal kind of a prayer life. It was something that wasn't just routine. It was something that he did as a matter of practice, but he didn't do it as a matter of just this rote routine. So they come to him because his prayer life is observable, it is notable, and it is admirable. Now, there are throughout the Gospels, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 15 specific recorded times when Jesus prayed. 15 different times. 11 out of those 15 times are recorded by Luke. Out of all the four Gospels, Luke records more of Jesus' prayer life. 11 out of the 15 times. So the disciples are seeing something here about Jesus' prayer life. But it also tells us something else. Not only did they observe Jesus' prayer life and they admire it such that they ask him, teach us out of the normal routine, there's something different about you. But the second thing that we notice by their question is that praying doesn't really come naturally to us. Otherwise, they wouldn't say, teach us. 
I mean, if it was just something that was just so natural, they wouldn't be going to Jesus and saying, could you please teach us this? So when I consider that, you know, I'm encouraged by it, and I hope you are too, that if you find that your prayer life is not always so natural that you have to actually work on it, it's okay. There are some disciplines of the faith that are good to practice And by definition, when we say discipline, it is something that we have to discipline our lives to do, and it may not always come all that naturally. And maybe because we're selfish, and we're more self-centered, and we're busy, and the more our society advances, the busier we seem to get, that we kind of squeeze our time, and it doesn't have enough time for God in there to pray. You know, whatever the reason is, it seems to me that by them asking this, Lord, teach us to pray, they're admitting it just doesn't come very easily. It doesn't come very naturally. We have to work on this. So take heart if you find that your prayer life is in a similar way, just kind of needing to be more of a discipline in your life because it doesn't seem to come all that naturally. And they even say, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So John the Baptist had followers too. And John the Baptist was having to teach his disciples how to pray. So this isn't anything new that people who want to be followers of the Lord find it difficult, for whatever reason, to really have a valuable, fruitful prayer life. So they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the problem with the Lord's Prayer, as it's commonly called, or some of your backgrounds might call it the Our Father, is that it has somewhat been reduced to just kind of a recited prayer. That, you know, we just start quoting it. And anything you just start to quote or recite over and over again can tend to really lose its meaning. It just does. I mean, any, any kind of thing you just start repeating over and over again, you can just kind of go through the motion. You can start just firing off those words. And really, what does it mean? It really isn't that Jesus meant this to be a standalone prayer that we just repeat, although there's really nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that It could end up becoming something that is repetitive and has lost its meaning. But really what he's offering here is a pattern. He's offering some elements that we should include in our prayer life. The first thing that he talks about here, before I get to a list of some elements, he begins by telling us we need to pray our Father. Our Father. This would have been very unusual to the ears of the Jews in his day, and it's still difficult for some people to embrace today. Because the idea is that Jesus is saying here, listen, when you pray, understand that God is a personal God as a father. He is a father to us, and we are like his children. And throughout the whole prayer, it's our father and give us Uh, our daily bread and forgive us our sins for as we also forgive others. And he's talking here in the sense of a family. This is our father and us. We are part of God's family. We need to approach him as a loving dad. And that disarms you then because now you're not approaching the throne as like, oh, you know, and we can get all lofty, can't we? Oh, great and glorious and magnificent God of the universe. Oh, you know, and almost, and almost kind of sound like we're, you know, more spiritual just by the way we kind of sing it, you know. And, you know, styles vary, okay. But the fact is, if we just are praying like with the mindset that God is this, you know, cosmic, powerful being in the heavens, which he is, but if we just kind of, 
only see him as this cosmic, powerful being who created the universe, and we don't bring it home to the place where he's our father, then your prayer life might end up being something that you feel is just a distant communication rather than a close family conversation. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to see prayer as. This is our Father. And we don't mean to put God on this level of just like He's our buddy, okay? But we at least need to understand Him as a personal, loving Father that we are communing with and we're having conversation with. So here are the elements then that basically Jesus, basically it contains the idea of adoration, Because he talks here about hallowed be your name, you know, adoring him, praising him. Spend some time when you're praying to give thanks for who he is, adoring him, worshiping him. And then when he talks here about your kingdom come, and then, of course, Matthew adds in your will be done, there's an element of submission to the will of the Father in all things. And then he talks about give us each day our daily bread. There's an element of provision that you can ask for God to provide for your needs. Please notice, different from our greeds, there's a lot of stuff we might want, not necessarily what we need. God is not obligated to give us everything we want, but he is our Father who will take care of our needs. And so we can ask him for our provision. And then forgive us our sins. There's an element of confession in there. Our prayer life should include times of just confession before God and acknowledging our sins before Him. And then when we realize how much He's forgiven us and we embrace that, that goes a long way to forgiving others who have sinned against us because we want to forgive in the same way we've been forgiven. And then there's this element also of protection. You know, lead us not into temptation. Of course, Matthew then adds, and deliver us from the evil one, referring to Satan. So, you know, protect us from the temptation of our own flesh. Protect us from the temptation of the enemy. And so these elements, so again, not necessarily a prayer to just be recited over and over again, but at least the idea of including these elements in your prayer life, adoration, submission, provision, confession, and protection. And then he's going to move in here in the following verses in giving us some advice about prayer. So verse 5, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so Jesus is using a little parable there to illustrate the importance of prayer. And one of the advice that he gives is to pray here with boldness and persistence. Now, he uses this little story here. And at first, when you look at it, look, don't don't analyze every element of a parable and try to make a parallel to every single thing. Okay, because when you first look at this, The idea is be bold, be persistent, like you're going to a friend's house and you're knocking on the door in the middle of the night because somebody just, you know, came by your house unannounced and now you don't have any food, but you know that your friend does next door. So you go to your friend's house, but it's in the middle of the night, you just knock on the door. Hey, I need some bread. I had, you know, some friends who came by. I didn't know they were coming. They just dropped by and I don't have any food. So you have some food. And from the inside, the guy's like, yeah, I got some food. But I'm in bed with all my kids, and I can't get up because my kids are all in bed with me. 
By the way, some of you can relate to that, right? My little kids, you know, they don't, they don't like to go to bed and then they end up in your bed in the morning and then you're, nobody's sleeping because everybody's crowded. But anyhow, it's a picture of how it a lot of times goes, especially when the kids are little. They end up curling in bed with you. And anyhow, I could go on about that. I'm reminiscing right now in my head, but I won't go there. But the idea is because of the guy's persistence knocking, then his friend, who didn't really want to get up, got up and got him the bread. And at first, you can read this story and go, it's almost like Jesus is comparing God to a grumpy old man who didn't want to get up out of bed. Be careful that you don't compare every nuance. The basic idea is be bold and persistent. That's all that he's trying to suggest to us. The word boldness is in the NIV. It says in verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. If you have a King James Bible, it says persistence instead of boldness. And persistence is also a great word because of the verses that follow. Notice verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And every one of those verbs, ask, seek, and knock, is in the Greek present imperative, which literally means that in the translation, Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking, seek And keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And he's inviting us to be persistent. So there's great advice in that. God honors that. God honors boldness and persistence. And then he also adds in verse, another bit of advice in verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so he's giving us another bit of advice here. He says, number two, pray with childlike confidence. Because he compares our relationship, again, to God as like our Father. And Jesus is saying, you know, everybody gets this on a, on a human level, right? If you're a parent and your kid asks you for a fish, you know, what loving parent is going to go, you want a piece of fish? You want a fish to eat? That's, yeah, here you go. You know, a snake. No loving parent is going to, well, here, just, how about you take this cobra from me? How about that? How about a copperhead? It'll be funny. No, I mean, no parent would do that. Same thing if the kid asks for an egg. Can I, can I have some scrambled eggs? You sure can. And then you give him a plate and there's a scorpion on it. I mean, nobody would do that, okay? No loving dad or mom would do that. And so Jesus says, okay, if you wouldn't do that and you're evil, I mean, that's what he says here, you being evil, even, even the most evil person knows you wouldn't do that. So if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? By the way, that's a great text verse about the Holy Spirit in general. When we get to the book of Acts, we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that verse because the receiving the Holy Spirit in terms of that baptizing work that Jesus talks about in Acts chapter 1 is a matter of simply asking and receiving. Jesus says that you will receive simply because you ask and your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to his children. But again, in terms of praying, 
he's saying here, not only pray with boldness and persistence, but pray with childlike confidence because you're going to your father and your father loves you and your father is going to be good to you. He won't always give us everything we want. Just like every good parent doesn't give a kid everything that the kid wants either. Okay, you know, think about it. Think about it. everything your kid wants. If you gave your kid everything that he or she wanted, they would never get up off the couch from the TV and they would always be eating Pop-Tarts. I'm just being real with you, right? They'd always be eating Pop-Tarts because that's what they want to eat. And they always want to play video games. I just want to play video games. I don't want to eat Pop-Tarts. Oh, great. Why did you do that? <laughs> that's not a loving parent. So sometimes you say no to your kids. And sometimes, as parents, you need to learn to say no a little bit more. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, because sometimes we just, you know, we coddle our kids. We give them everything that they want instead of once in a while just pushing back and saying, no, why not? Because don't you hate this when your parents said, because I said so. It is a timeless truth. Just try it out once in a while. Because I said so. Why? Because I said so. Give me a reason. I don't have to. It's because I'm a parent. Because you're the kid. And I'm not your friend. All right? I mean, I love you, but I'm not your pal. I'm here to be a parent, and sometimes the answer's good enough because I said so. If you don't like it, go live with the neighbor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I don't mean to be mean like that. I'm just saying. You know, so when we come to the Father, like, okay, he's our Father, and I'm just going to ask him for this. Well, you have to always defer to the will of the Father, too, that he knows what is best for you. And sometimes God is going to say yes, sometimes he's going to say no, sometimes he's going to say not now. And we as his children have to respond in the right way. Rejoice when he says yes. Rejoice when he says no. When there's not an answer to prayer the way we wanted it, we have to believe and defer that God always knows best and he always has as my loving father, my best interest at heart. And he's going to do what is right and good for me. And sometimes that means saying no. And sometimes it means saying not right now. The timing isn't right. And we have to defer to him and trust him as our father. Well, as we read on here, verse 14, some of Jesus' critics are going to refer to him really as Satan. They don't want to acknowledge that his power is from God, so how else are they going to answer all the miracles that he's doing? Well, if it's not from God, they're going to attribute it to Satan, which doesn't make sense because it's not even, it defies logic, and Jesus is going to point it out. So verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, and when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Okay, so get this. You got two groups. Jesus cast a demon out of this guy. The guy was mute, and the demon was controlling his tongue. And then the guy was set free. He could speak. crowd was amazed. Then you have two reactions. There's one group that says, well, he's only doing this by the power of Beelzebub, which is another term for Satan. And you have another group that is testing him. We want to see more signs. If you're really who you say you are, you know, perform for us. Do some more miracles. And Jesus, verse 17, knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. That is a great principle by itself, right? You have to have unity in a home. You can't have division or it'll fall. But verse 18, if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? 
So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from his birth to his ministry, his death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know